Hey, welcome to the Northside Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this message today. Our prayer is that this message inspires you, encourages you, uplifts you, maybe even convicts you a little bit with the help of the Holy Spirit. We're grateful that you're joining us here on our podcast. We want to ask that you would real quickly just subscribe to this channel so that you could be notified when new messages go up every week and be looking out for new content in the new coming year of 2023 here on our Northside Church podcast. Enjoy the message. Psalms 8. Give you a short introduction and get into the, the psalm. Psalm 8. I've entitled this psalm, What a Beautiful Name. Psalm 8, verses 1 down through verse number 9. Note the title, How Majestic Is Your Name, to the choir master according to the Gittith. It was an instrument of Gath, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength. Because of your foes. To steal the enemy. And the avenger. When I look at your heavens. The work of your fingers. The moon and the stars. Which you have set in place. What is man? That you are mindful of him. And the son of man. That you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. And crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen. And also the beasts of the field. The birds of the heavens the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, we love you. We pray now that you would honor your word above everything else this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The sovereignty of God, we struggle with the truth and our pride despises the fact that God is in absolute control of everything. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 16, Jesus makes an extremely bold claim. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies 
you have prepared praise. And so in Matthew 21, 16, Jesus makes a claim of being the majestic God of Psalms 8. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, the writer of the book of Hebrews makes another bold claim that Christ is the Son of Man of Psalm 8. Who will be given, who is given, and will be given in the future all authoritative rule over the universe when He makes all His enemies His footstool. Psalm 8, Christ is the principal subject. Our objectives this morning are three. To realize the disaster and devastation of sin. Number two, to relish that God loves and cares for sinners. And number three, to rest confidently in Christ. To be reconciled to God. Restored to proper standing with God. Psalm 8 sets before us a very doctrinal discourse on the redeeming work of Jesus in restoring the dignity that was lost in humanity. Number one, I want you to note the stateliness of man. Verse number five, verse number six, seven and eight logically should fit where one, two, and three fit. Note what the psalm says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Crown him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Sheep, oxen, all beasts of the field, birds of the air, fish of the sea, and everything that passes along the seas. Man is created in the image of God. Assigned as a representative and a manager of God's creation. John, Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Man's chief principle reason for existence, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Fundamentally, it's all about making man into a people who glorify God and imitate Him in all things. God imposes, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, God imposes a moral obligation on man. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of all the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you will die. For the first time, man now becomes morally responsible before God and God will hold him accountable for his actions. We turn to Genesis chapter 3 and we see that man fails miserably. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who also with her and he ain't. Now man is indebted to God for not fulfilling the moral obligation that God had set before them. Man owes God now. 
Man has acted outside of the jurisdiction of God's defined law. Man is a criminal. He has transgressed the law of God. Enmity now exists between man and God. Man is hostile towards God now. Which leads us to number two, the sovereignty of God. Look what verse 1 of Psalm 8 says. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. To steal the enemy and the avenger. God provided everything both for man and beast that they needed to enjoy His goodness. As God's creatures, we are absolutely and universally dependent on God. The whole entire individual as well as all of humanity. We are dependent on God. And so God has absolute claim on us now. Did you know what the psalmist said? O Lord, our Lord. Master. The one who exercises total and complete control over everything. O sovereign one, he said. Three things that we glean from verse 1. God is the first cause of everything that is good. In the beginning, God. And God provides for every need. And here's the great thing about God. In providing for everything that we need, He mediates the provision. He ensures we get what we need. He gives it to us and then He what? Maintains it and what? Masters it and mediates it. Oh Lord, our Lord. Did you note in the Psalms, it's two different lords. Oh Yahweh, oh Jehovah, Adonai, Master. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And God makes sure we get it. We get it. All that is good is found in God. How majestic is your Name, splendor. God's goodness, though, in Romans 2, verse 4. God's goodness is for the intent of leading people to repentance. Man despises God's goodness. Because our hearts are hardened towards God now. Romans chapter 2, verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself, Paul says. We learn in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that man is without an excuse now. See, God has sufficient evidence to the greatness and the goodness that he holds. God has sufficient evidence. Did you know what he said in verse number 1 of Psalms 8? You have set your glory above the heavens. God is above His creation. God is independent of His creation. God is an unknowable, unknown God. And yet at the same time, God seeks to reveal Himself to His creation. This is a divine paradox. 
that a God who is unknown seeks to be known. David said, when I walk out and I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, the universe, God is not left without a witness. God is not left without a testimony. God leaves Himself a witness in the big things that God does. For the invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that He has made. But did you know what verse 2 said? God leaves Himself a witness in the little things. Look what He said in verse 2. Out of the mouths of babies and infants. God has a people. You know what we learned from verse 2? God is not out of reach. God is not out of reach. His glory is higher than the heavens. But even a child can reach God. Matthew chapter 18 verses 1 through 4. Jesus states, Whoever shall humble himself as a child, for such is the kingdom of God. God uses little things, ordinary things, weak things, small things, frail things, insignificant things. God is not left without a testimony to His greatness. We can walk outside and know that God is good. And yet we can look at God's people and know that God is good. God is good. But man... Intentionally commits what one one writer calls cosmic treason against God. Look in verse 2. You have established strength because of your foes. To steal the enemy and the avenger. I want you to understand something this morning, ladies and gentlemen, that man is set within a cosmic framework. Did you note how the Psalms was put together? Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Everything begins with God. Eventually everything will end with God. Man is set within the framework of that. Amen? Man is set within the framework of that. And here's what we need to understand. God has sufficient witness to His glory and His greatness. But man decides to not give God any thought within that framework. We see God in the big things. We see God in the little things. But we intentionally and purposely decide not to give God any thought to anything. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, Because the mind is set on the flesh, is hostile towards God. We do everything within our power to erase God from existence in our minds, in our lives, in our culture, in our society. Although we're set within the framework of a universe that begins with God and ultimately ends with God, man tries his best to erase God from that framework. And so my friend, man commits cosmic treason against a sovereign God. I want to read you a text. Genesis chapter number 6, if I could real quick, it kind of sums up 
everything. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6 says this. And the Lord regretted. Let's start with verse 5. I'm sorry. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. That every intention of his thoughts and of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth. And it grieved his heart. God regretted that he made man. Because man committed cosmic treason against God. Now man, listen to me, man now builds this and creates this dysfunctional world. In verse 8 of Psalms 8, I mean verse 1 of Psalms 8, notice what it said. How majestic is your name in all the earth, he said. But get this. Living in a dysfunctional world, God's name is not being glorified on all the earth. Glory now has been traded for this imprisoned existence. What does the Bible say in Romans 1.28? And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, trying to erase Him from existence, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper, to be free to do what they want to do. And so my friend, man commits treason in the slightest sin, violates the holiness of God, it violates the righteousness of God, and ultimately, as we see in verse number 1, it, it violates the glory of God. Because now we've traded glory from a, for an imprisoned existence because we have been what? Left to do what we want to do, how we want to do it, when we want to do it because we decided not to acknowledge God in our thinking within the cosmic framework. Sin is an atrocity against a holy God. An atrocity. Psalms 51 verse 4, David said against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Defiance against cosmic authority and insult to holiness. Defacing of glory. Turning our backs on God. We've turned our face now to a culture and a society that we reflect a very wrong image now. Because no longer do we bear the image of God, but now we bear the image of beasts and animalistic passions. Romans 1.23, it exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for the image of the form of a corruptible man. Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, here's some hope, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. So get, get this, there must be a reconciling between man and creator. Change has to happen. My attitude towards God must go from defiance to faith. God's attitude towards me must go from wrath to mercy. But I want you to understand this morning that these are not the same. Because I need God's help to change. 
But God doesn't need my help. Salvation is a sovereign move of God. And here's what you need to understand. Our change must come from outside of ourselves. We don't change within ourselves. It comes from the outside. God's change comes from within Himself. God doesn't need to change and need my help to do it. God changes from within Himself, from wrath to mercy. So God chooses to stop being against me and now being for me. John chapter 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. There's a change from within Himself. Man is down here on this earth doing everything within their power to erase God from existence. Man is doing everything in heaven within his power to love man and reconcile man back to himself. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. So while still moral enemies of God, listen to this, don't miss this, God initiates change. And the first change is God. But here's what we need to understand. Don't miss this. While we are still like this, while we are still like this, God gives us everything heaven has to offer. Here's the hope. You ready for some hope? While I'm still like this, God gives me everything heaven has to offer. That leads us to number three, a seeking Savior. Look at verse 3, Psalms 8. When I consider or when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place. Now, us individuals who live in West Texas will understand the context of verse 3. David is young here. He's a young lad. Some commentators say that he's coming off the victory of Goliath and he's going back into the shepherd fields and it's nighttime and he's thinking about how God... How majestic is that name? Goliath said, you come to me with stones. David said, no, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. You're about to go down. And he thinks about the majestic name of God. And he looks up into the heavens at night as the sheep are kind of resting now. He looks up and he said, when I consider, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the Son of Man, that you care for Him. It's a good place for an amen. We tend to make and we tend to believe that the world revolves around me. I didn't think that would be a good place for an amen. That kind of bothers us, doesn't it? You mean it doesn't? No. Walk outside at night. 
We view our lives very disproportionately. Big me, little world. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. There is 31.5 million seconds in a year. So light travels 6 trillion miles in a single year. Feeling small yet. The sun makes up 99.9% of all the matter in the solar system. In fact, you can take 1.3 million of our earth and put it inside the sun. Feeling small yet. Realizing that the world don't revolve around you. And now that scientists have discovered that the largest star in the universe has the radius of 2,000 times the size of the sun. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, not a big deal to God, point and it happens. And yes, to God. Not a big deal to God. 2,000 times more than the sun. Feel small yet. My world doesn't revolve around me. It's not a big me little world. It's a little me big world. Big universe. So the first thing I must come to terms with is this. Man is insignificant within the framework of creation. Psalms 8 verse 1, God is majestic. Psalms 8 verse 1, His glory is above the heavens. Man is little, puny, insignificant, small within the context of this cosmic framework. James chapter 4 verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. God's transcendence. Unapproachableness. He's too holy. He's too righteous for man to even come near to God because of our sinful condition. God is left with no choice. Look at me. Turns his face on man. God has no choice to keep himself away from that which is unholy. But I want you to know this morning that a creating God is a caring God. What is man that you are even mindful of him? In a universe like I see with my naked eye. When I think of how big the sun is, what is man when I think that there's a star that is 2,000 more sizes than the sun that I could fit so many earths in, what is man that you are mindful of him? Small, puny, insignificant. God cares more about people than he does about planets. God cares more about souls than he does about stars. 
God cares more about us than he does about the universe. What is man? Nothing deserving of God's, the majestic God. God whose glory is higher than the heavens, nothing deserving of his attention. You see the word man there in verse 4, man, enos. In the Hebrew, we're just human beings, weak, frail, little, shallow, insignificant, puny creatures. But then he mentions the Son of Man. You see that there in verse number 4? In the Hebrew, this is Ben Adam, sons of Adam. So not only does God know that I'm little, but God knows that I'm a sinner because I'm a son of Adam. And so here's what you need to understand, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. So the creating God now is a caring God. And get this. And he's a God that comes to where I'm at. What is man that you would care for him? What is man that you would be conscious of him? What is man that you would come to him? Cosmic treason, yes. Enemies to God, yes. We are within our power, racing God, yes. God in heaven, caring, conscious, coming. The creating God. God love for his creation is so great. Don't miss this, that his eminence overshadows his transcendence. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin for us. Don't miss this. If you miss anything, don't miss this. God has no choice, ladies and gentlemen, to keep himself from that which is holy. Yet Jesus prayed in Psalms 22, 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken Savior, non-forsaken sinners. Jesus now lets God turn his face back towards me. Do you understand now, ladies and gentlemen, why David opened up this psalm, how majestic is your name and all the earth? We cheapen God's salvation when we ought to be on our face begging God for mercy. So instead of God being against me, now He is now for me. Instead of turning His back on me and turning His face away from me, now He turns His back on His only beloved Son. Because God loves me. A creating God is a caring God who soon becomes a coming God. Jesus Christ breaks through the barrier of sin and separation. And guess what Jesus does? He draws us closer. Now, I want you to notice something here. It's not in the ESV, but it is in the King James. And I started to bring it up here, but I didn't want to cause mass confusion with all the different versions. But it is in the King James. And you see the little word visit. It's a very interesting word in the psalm. How many of you have visit in your Bible? I want to see your hand. I would underline that. I would circle that if I were you because it's a very interesting word in the Hebrew because this is what it means. To seek and look for. 
You know what Jesus said in Luke 19, 10? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save. God is looking for you, loved one. God is seeking you, loved one. God is, Lord, wanting to find you. Man doesn't go after God. We want to erase God. We're doing everything within our power to go against whatever God is for. We're going away from wherever God is. But God is in pursuit, seeking and looking for you, visiting you. What is man that you would even come after me? Wow. Not forgetting me. Not leaving me where I'm at. Not passing me over. But visiting me on purpose. Coming to me, not in anger, but in grace. Mark 10, 44, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered, but to minister and give Himself a ransom for many. Do you understand that now Jesus comes? Listen to me. Do you understand now that Jesus comes to pay the debt that I owe God? I owe God because I did not live up to my obligation to God in a moral obligation that God imposed on me. But God knows I can't pay that debt. God knows I'm bankrupt. God knows my righteousness is filthy rags and I must stand before Him with nothing in my hand. I bring but God sent His Son. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe now. And owing God, I now owe Christ my life for paying my debt of obligation I could not pay. Glory to His name. How majestic is His name. There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved than the name of Jesus. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How majestic is your name. And God hath given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue on earth, under the earth, and in the heavens shall confess. He paid the debt that I owed. I started to entitle this psalm a doctrinal psalm, a theological psalm. There's more theology in eight verses than we got in the whole Bible almost. You ought to rejoice if you're saved. You ought to be crying and begging God. If you're not, you can't pay the debt, but He can. Praise His name. Moral failure. Ransomed from sin's enslavement. Jesus said, whom I set free, you're free indeed. You're free indeed. No longer under obligation. But what does he say? You owe me. And Paul said, brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you give yourselves a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 says. Holy and acceptable unto God. Yeah, he paid the debt, but you ought to in return owe him. Man. Can I show you something else? Verse 4. In the original, you go to church here long enough, you'll understand what it would be by the original Hebrew. The way this psalm was written, there is no definite article in verse 4. It is not the Son of Man, it is just Son of Man. 
being Adam, being son of Adam. Don't miss this. This is this will make this and this will make a Baptist costal out of you in a hurry. Because it just about did me. The definite article, the Son of Man. If you take the out, you got a weak, little, insignificant, sinful man. But you put the the in there. You put the the in there. You see, the the makes all the difference. Not just a man, but the man, Christ Jesus. You see, here's what you need to understand. Jesus makes the difference in your life. Because you go from being nothing Without the thee, you're nothing. But with the thee, we go from being insignificant to loved and cared for. Let me finish up with this. A standing revived, verses 5 through 8. We're back where we started, and I've got to hurry. I've got five minutes. So we know that man is not out of sight, out of mind. God sees us. God knows us. God cares for us. He comes to us. Honor, glory, bearing the image of God again. Man is back where he needs to be with God in verse 5. That's a good place for amen. Let's hear it. Man is back where he needs to be. Why? Because Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. He visited us. He came and died for us. And just in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice in verses 6 and 8, Christ's sovereignty as a man. Man's dignity, what God intended man to originally be, lost. Man's destiny, gone to what? Live in close proximity to God. Man's distinction, representing God on this world, flawed. But you send the Son of Man and everything is restored. Back the way it would need to be. Now, one interesting little note here. You see the word there. How many of you, I have heavenly beings in the ESV. How many of you have angels? I want to see your hand. It's very interesting. Listen to him. I'll teach you something real quick. How many of you see angels? You see that word angels? Can I tell you something? That doesn't mean those things with wings and halos. And honestly, that word in the Hebrew is Elohim. It's Elohim. You know what he's saying? You made me a little lower than God. Man has been made a little lower of God. But guess what? Sin took us even lower. Jesus restored us back to that standing. Now don't miss this. Don't miss this. When man was made a little lower than God, why do you think Satan came to Eve in Genesis 3 and said, Oh, you know the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God knows that you will be like him. Don't miss that. Lower than God. And the devil said, oh, really? God's afraid you're going to be like, not lower than him, like him. That's the way Satan tempted our first representative. Almost like God was cheating man. Let me finish. So in everything, Jesus, look, what, look what's restored here. Look at this. Verse number 5. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Crown him with what? We had glory in verse 1. We got glory again. Dignity's restored. Man's where they need to be with God. Putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Trusting in him. In his death. In his perfect life. 
right? Sinless life, death, resurrection. We're justified before a holy God. Restored to what? That glory that was lost by sin. Crowned us with honor in Christ. This is not man independent from God. This is man in Christ now. When he sees me, he sees Christ. That's my standing. Psalms 8, 9, what does God do? What has God already done? He sent his son to save us from guilt and sin. Looking to God again by grace. Our affections are redirected. Our work begins once again to do what? Conform us to the image that we needed to be conformed to to begin with. And that is the image of Christ Jesus. All things are working for the good to them that love the Lord. Called according to His purpose. Why? Because we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Hallelujah. Man, God's starting to work on us again. God's got something to work with now in Jesus and we who are saved, we don't want to erase Him from existence. We want to what? Exalt Him. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Once again, God's name is glorified amongst His little people. Babies and infants. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise. Tell me how God can take this and make this out of Him. David ends with the same high note that he started with. God is great in creation, but God's greater greatness is seen at Calvary. Galatians 4, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says this. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, the system, according to the will of our God and Father. Get this. To him be glory. Forever and ever. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world is crucified to me and I to the world. The world is dead to me and I am dead to the world, Paul said. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Have you trusted Him? Have you called out to His name to forgive you of your sins? Have you come to the point in your life where you're tired of fighting God? You're tired of it. You can't erase Him. The heavens declare His glory. You try to erase God, you might as well turn the moon off. You might as well, t- you might as well turn the sun off. You might might as well try to take the stars out of the sky to silence creation from praising God. But you ought to try to silence the babies. Tell them not to cry. Do not. Even they will give you a reason to trust Him. Where are you at in this big framework of God's scheme of things?